Anybody in here like tape? Yeah. Yeah. You ever notice there's different types of tape for different applications? I mean, tape is really kind of a cool thing because you have painter's tape, which is great for when you're painting, but what doesn't painter's tape do very well? Doesn't stick really well, right? I mean, it serves a purpose that you want it on temporarily and you pull it off, uh, but it doesn't stick really very well and it's easily pulled up. Scotch tape, anyone ever use scotch tape? Great stuff for Christmas presents, right? That's a subtle hint in case you didn't catch that. Great stuff for Christmas presents, but you know, it just isn't long lasting. It's not real durable and it's not very strong. It kind of fits that temporary fix. It's stronger than painter's tape, but you know, not, it just, it just doesn't last too long. And if you buy the stuff from all a dollar like we do, it doesn't stick very well either. But then there is um, packing tape. You ever use packing tape? I love to wrap presents in packing tape. You because I'm just a bad, bad man. <laughs> because I just thoroughly enjoy people trying to open it up thinking it's scotch tape, but it's packing tape. And the great thing about packing tape is not only does it stick, but what? It's hard to, it's hard to come off. You know, they make it thicker. It's that plastic and it just holds things together and it's pretty good stuff. But then there's one of my all-time favorites. And you know what that one is? Well, the electrical is a good example, but even better than electrical is duct tape. Holds on tires. Yeah, duct tape is amazing because it's flexible. It sticks like crazy. It lasts a long time. You know, as Christy just shared, I've even driven, or when we had it, drove our RV in with a busted tire, wrapping that puppy up with duct tape every five miles, and it brought me back into town. I mean, duct tape is awesome, awesome, strong, durable, flexible, but now, now there's stuff called Gorilla Tape that is even more durable and better. The great thing about tape is tape holds things together. And the better tape you get, the more durable and steadfast it is, right? I mean, duct tape, Gorilla Tape, even some electrical tape, unless you get it from Harbor Freight, you know, it's good <laughs> stuff. We as Christians are to be like tape. Good, durable, flexible, strong tape. We are to be the ones that hold things together, aren't we? I mean, the church is called the fellowship. Christ says, don't forsake the meeting of together as some do, because we're to hold the church together, right? As a bond of Christians. We're to hold the gospel of truth together as we present it to the world when we leave the church and we do ministry. We are to be like tape. Good, strong, durable tape that is steadfast. And that's a cool thing. This morning we're talking about being steadfast in our faith. You ever struggle with that? You ever have those days that you just throw your hands in the air and you just don't care, right? <laughs> Yes, this is what kind of church we are. So, um, you know, you have those days. <laughs> yeah, God makes some of us with a little sense of humor, and some have none. That's a good dance move. That's a good dance move. Yeah, you want to hear it? No, we're not going to do it. <laughs> but he's made us to be resilient. He's made us to be steadfast, to hold his gospel and his church together, because there's a purpose in that, isn't there? to present the message of Christ to the world, not only in word, but more so in deed and in action, by how we band together. 
Now, the last two years have been challenging in the fact that uh, there's been times we haven't been able to meet. Other churches have had longer times than that, but that's not the first time in history, is it? Where countries have made Christianity illegal, where Christians were hunted down, even in Jesus' time, when Paul was Saul, would hunt Christians down and kill them or torture them or imprison them. This is not the first time the church and our steadfastness has been challenged. But this is the time that we live in and the time that God calls us to be the ones to take the banner of Christ and to be steadfast, to be the ones that hold strong and as Paul says, to stay the course. I think of that and I always think of, I'm not a big sailor, but I always think of a ship being out on the ocean, you know, one of those old like clipper sailing ships, you know, with the big sails, you know, the arr, pirate type ships or whatever. They're out there, they're dependent on the wind, but the waves would come and the skill of those captains that in the midst of the storm to be able to stay steadfast and to set that ship on course to reach his goal in spite of calm seas or in spite of stormy seas just absolutely amazes me. Those captains would stay steadfast in their goal no matter what the situation. And I think God calls us to be steadfast in our faith, don't you? Well, that sounds all good in theory, but practical application is a little tougher, isn't it? Practical application is a little tougher. So this morning, I hope to challenge you and turn your eyes from your problems, from the worries of the world, from all the, I'll say, propaganda, the negativism of the world, to turn your eyes to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who we just read in Psalm 136, whose steadfastness and love endures for how long? Forever. Where Christ promises that he is with us how long? Always. And even in his absence, his physical absence, until he returns again, he gives us a helper to be with us. So this morning, let us turn our eyes from pessimism to optimism from our seemingly struggles and problems, which really aren't struggles and problems, because Christ in Christ, those are opportunities, aren't they? To show the goodness and love of Christ, to be steadfast and show the world something different. Wouldn't it be interesting if instead of the news that's on every night that has all this negative bad news because it, and all the gossip that get people talking, that if the news just flashed over to all the Christian churches and the Christians are coming out on the news going, God is good. These are good times. God's faithfulness endures forever. This is how God blessed me. This is what God did. This is what God is doing. I don't think it lasts very long because the world doesn't want to hear that, do they? The world thrives and wants to be on gossip. I mean, for some weird reason, Christy suddenly has magazine subscriptions coming to her that she didn't sign up for. People magazine, Vogue magazine, and we look at the cover and we just deposit them in the trash can. But stuff like that is on there because the world thrives in gossip about other people and what bad is happening or who's split and going with who. And the world thrives. We see it on the news and, and, and just on TV shows where they, they want bad things to happen, to, to almost relish in being anxious and fearful, right? I mean, what have you heard on the news the last five years, not even the last one or two years, 
It's always about, oh, this accident happened, or oh, this place was destroyed. Very seldom do you hear good news because the world thrives on that negativism, that pessimism, that, oh, woe is me, it's all bad, it's all doom, it's all gloom. But Christ is different. How many times as you're reading through the Bible this year do you read about God back in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament going, oh, it's just so rough. Come on. I mean, can you see Jesus saying, come on, Dad, 33 years, this is going to be tough. Can't you just cut it down to like 12 and get it over with? You know, maybe 18 when I'm in my prime, just 18 years, Dad, let's be done. You know, you don't hear that. You don't see that. You see Christ moving forward to fulfill the mission that he has done. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke with just a, a few verses this morning. And the Gospel of Luke is about the steadfastness of a person. A person who finished the race, a person who pushed through, a person who faced difficult times and kept going. And this should encourage us as Christians that as we read this in the Gospel of Luke, should encourage us to push on, to be steadfast, to get our eyes again off of the negativism and on to the positiveness of God. You see, we need to be steadfast. Do you know why? Because otherwise we just look like the world, don't we? We just fit in all too well. And I guarantee you that being negative is so much easier than being positive. I think Satan made it that way. Just like buying into temptation is so much easier than seeing temptation and saying no and turning the other way and walking away. You see, steadfastness is harder to do, isn't it? But we serve a great God who did a great work in us and established a great Holy Spirit in us. So God puts us, in essence, on another level to not be like the world. In fact, he calls us holy, which we've looked at over the years. Holy mean being separated, being set apart, that we are above or different than everything else in the world around us. We are on a different expectation. The Gospel of Luke is a beautiful gospel. Matthew's gospel has a picture of Jesus, the king, royalty, you know. Mark's record is of Jesus, the servant. John's gospel is of the majestic story of the eternal Son of God and the God of love. But the Gospel of Luke hits home with us, if you've ever read it, and I can tell you why. Because the Gospel of Luke is about sympathy and compassion. And why would that hit home with us? Well, if you're ever having one of those down-in-the-dumps moments, what do you want other people to give you? Sympathy and compassion, right? In the Gospel of Luke, we meet individual people that Jesus touches, not crowds. The other Gospels share about the crowds, the big numbers that Jesus met. The Gospel of Luke tells us about individuals. We get a chance to peek into the lives of individual people and how Jesus touches them just like he touched us. We meet Jesus, the great physician, as he tenderly meets the needs of all kinds of people, that he goes to where they are to heal them, 
Even though culturally that was not acceptable, even though physically it could have put his own life at risk. The Gospel of Luke is about compassion of individuals, of singing and weeping, and it's the story that Jesus made, the story that his journey was to the cross. Do you know that literally half the Gospel of Luke is about Jesus going to the cross? That steadfastness of Christ going there. We read that Jesus steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. And Luke 9, 51 says this, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined, determined to go to Jerusalem. So he set his face towards Jerusalem. And what awaited him in Jerusalem during that Passover? First acceptance, and then death and rejection. And even knowing that, knowing what he was going to, Luke 9.51 again says, As the days were approaching for his ascension, his raising from the dead, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, steadfastness means firmly fixed, like tape, good tape, firmly fixed. And Jesus was firmly fixed to go to Jerusalem. And the crazy thing is, he was going to Jerusalem to die. That challenges things. First point, when Jesus told his disciples about the trip to Jerusalem, they simply couldn't believe it. Now, if you read the Gospels, even in Luke, when Jesus said, we're heading towards Jerusalem, they were not excited about it. In fact, they tried to stop him. You see, Jesus' reputation had grown, and they knew that if they went to Jerusalem, the religious officials, even perhaps the Romans in a political sense, would have persecution for Jesus, right? I mean, it wasn't this great big thing going there. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem to be crowned king, as many thought. Jesus went to Jerusalem to be crucified, to be crowned upon a cross with a crown of thorns placed upon his head and to give his life for us. We need to remember the story of Jesus' steadfastness in going to Jerusalem, that this is a story about a man from where we pick up in Luke who literally had less than four months to live. That's what the story's about. All of us have heard stories about people that go into the doctor and come out with news of, you have six months, you have a year to live. And we're like, oh my gosh. When we pick up in Luke about the story of Jesus determining himself to go to Jerusalem, we are reading the story of a man who has just been getting, given the news that you have less than four months to live. And you are walking directly to your death. But you see, the reason of Jesus' steadfastness wasn't just randomness. It was all part of a master plan from his father. We see back Jesus back at age 12, but he's with Mary and Joseph, and they're leaving the city, and they can't find him. And when they do find him, Jesus kind of confronts them as a 12-year-old child in a different way when he says, didn't you know where I would be found? Where? In my father's house. Why are you stressed out and worried? And again, here we see the steadfastness of Jesus' life impacting Mary and Joseph because they're worried their kid is lost, right? 
we worry about that in grocery stores. Well, sometimes we're happy and hope someone will pick them up and take them home, but we do worry about them, right? And Jesus is like, why are you worried? You see, even at age 12, he's looking to the world and saying, why are you anxious? Why are you worried? Why are you focusing on the negative? Didn't you know? Didn't you understand that I need to be in my father's house? This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's not a negative thing. It's a good thing. Then we see Jesus around age 30 going before John the baptizer. And when he meets John in, in, in the water and John baptizes him, John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And that's a foretelling because in Jerusalem during the Passover, what was sacrificed? The Passover lamb that covered the sins. And Jesus was ultimately the final what? Passover lamb. We also see it as Jesus himself is speaking to Nicodemus at night. And he talks about Nicodemus with Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Now that seems like an odd story of this cross with the snake on it being lifted up in the wilderness. But if you go back in the Old Testament, the people were dying from these snake bites. And God had Moses put this cross up with a snake on it that if they looked to it, they would be healed. That's where you get your physician's cross today. You ever see that with the cross, little snake on it? It's not a sign of death, it's a sign of life. That when you look up to the cross, as we look to the cross, you can be healed. Jesus brought healing to the people, but he set his heart steadfastly to go to Jerusalem, knowing with only four months left, left to live. It would be his last journey, and he wasn't on a journey as a sightseer. He wasn't watching Rick Steves Europe to see what cool things he could see there. He didn't go as a spectator. In the religious festival, no, he made his last trip to Jerusalem as God's sacrifice for sins, as the Passover lamb. He was going to Jerusalem determined to be there and to die to pay the price of your sins and mine, to bring us salvation. It would be hard, it would be painful, tearful, emotional, physical. It would mean initial acceptance and then with fickleness, instant rejection from all those who were praising him just a few days earlier. Going to Jerusalem would be hard. And yet what did Jesus do? He was steadfast and he went on because he knew there was a bigger purpose. And that's where I want to challenge you and I in our lifestyles this morning. Because I know in my own life, it's so easy when things don't go right, or I get down, or I get my feelings hurt, or I get handed something I don't expect, or blindsided, or, you know, the work ahead of me is hard. The people around me aren't nice. And the finances may be tight. But it's easy for me to not look to Jesus, but to look at my own world and to not be so steadfast. And here's where the example of Jesus being determined to go to Jerusalem comes in for you and I. That did he go forward to Jerusalem knowing it would be hard? It would be painful. 
it would be costly and sacrificial. That he would be dealing with people so fickle one day they would praise and they would reject him. Did he know that? Yeah. And yet he went anyway. Even in spite of the disciples going, dude, let's not do this. His 12 band, his core group of closest people, argued with him saying, don't go to Jerusalem. And he had to tell them, we are going to Jerusalem. And they're like, do you know what could face you there? And he's like, absolutely. Pack your bag, boys. We're going on a trip. The first challenge is to be Christ-like is, do you face those times like I do? Where times are difficult, things are seemingly negative, the body hurts more, falling down is easy, getting up is impossible, right? And there's just, there always seems to be more work than there is time. And things just don't seem to be going right. What's it so easy to do in that moment? Throw your hands in the air like you just don't care, right? But Jesus says the message to us is remember the bigger picture. Remember the ultimate goal. It's not the temporary that you're focused, you need to be focused on. It's on the goal of the upward call of Christ for your life. It's on the ministry of what Christ will do and fulfill and minister through you. It's on your witness. It's on being steadfast for God where others fall away. It's on being determined to be in the will of God when others are self-focused. You see, that's the first lesson for us this morning in steadfastness as a Christian is don't look at the moment. This is so temporary. It will come, it will go. And Jesus tells us very clearly in this life there will be troubles but he never tells us that they'll be forever. He just says, in this life. But this life isn't the big picture, is it? What's the big picture? Eternity in heaven. And I don't know if you've measured eternity, but it's a lot longer and bigger than this life. And he says, you're going to have that in this life. This is kind of a little testing ground to test your faith. I want to see what you do with it. He gives us a short time to be steadfast shared an eternity of his promises so the first lesson is when you're in that funk and you're down don't look at what's going on and the negative stuff look at the big picture look at what and who you're living for and what he has already done for you, what he is doing for you, and what he is going to do for you. Look at the ministry he's given you, the resources and blessings he's given you. Look at all the goodness that God's given you. I mean, the verse we shared this morning in the announcements, that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, that's something in my spiritual life that I am working on because I find it again like temptation so much easier to be negative and down and all oh, this happened this week and the Bible says John if this is a new day and you're alive God is not done with you yet you still have ministry to do 
And you should rejoice over that, that God's goodness is giving you another day on earth to proclaim his gospel and do his will. It's not like, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, please, I just want this over. <laughs> it's like God saying, you know what? You, 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 like Job, you are doing so well. I am so proud of you. You are living your life so well for me that, you know what? I just can't afford to take you home right now. I got to put you out there for another day to show the world how it is to be a Christian and have salvation. You see, it's actually an honor to live another day for God. But if we're not looking at God, where are we? Oh, please, get it over with. Right? And God says, I want you out there another day. I want you on the front lines for another day. I want you at the front of the battle because, man, you're doing so awesome. Yeah, I know there's some challenges and struggles, but I am with you. And if you and I are together, Nothing is impossible. We got to see the big picture, don't we? Because it changes how we see our circumstances, our life, and it literally changes our attitude. And I don't know if you've ever had to have an attitude adjustment in a relationship, in work, at home, or even just with yourself. But you and I can have the same situation, and we get to choose our attitude, don't we? That gift is given to us. And if we choose that negative attitude, oh, life just bites. I mean, nothing is good. You could win a million dollars, like, yeah, but they'll probably take half of it with the IRS. And then the family will show up, right? <laughs> we can see that negative side. But if we choose the positive side to rejoice because this is the day the Lord has made and it's a gift to you and I that it's ours. He made it for us to have another day to do his will and shine for him. You ever see people that choose the positive attitude? I mean, they're like Dorothy skipping through the yellow brick road in the Wizard of Oz. They're happy as all be. You know, there's flowers. It's like Cinderella up in her room. With, you know, the birds are singing and the butterflies are landing on you and the chipmunks are in chorus with you, you know. And life is just good. You can't bring those people down. And that's a stretch of an illustration. But it's real, isn't it? When Christ, when the Bible tells us that God made this day for you because he entrusts you so much to go out and shine for him again. That changes things. You see, we don't have to live through another day. We get to live another day and do ministry. That's what the big picture steadfastness is about as us as Christians. It's that attitude change from blending so easily into the world to choosing Christ on purpose, proactively, willfully, which takes more effort. But it's worth it because it's good, right? But you have to work at it because if you just let things go, you'll fall in that worldly attitude. You have to strive and work to be in a godly attitude. Jesus was steadfast for us, and what that tells us is this. We should be what? Steadfast for him, right? 
And the more that we walk with Christ, the more that we should realize the blessings that God has given us. Again, when we're negative, we think, oh my gosh, how much longer? How many more days? I, I can't do this. This is too hard. Why must I bear this burden? And it's really all about me. But when we're steadfast and we wake up in the morning and we come to God's word and we realize that God gave me another opportunity today. Like Paul said, it's much better to be in heaven with Christ. But for the sake of those around us, I'll stay here. You see, your life and my life and the steadfastness isn't about us. That's the attitude adjustment we have to get over. It's not about me because when I came to Christ, when you came to Christ in salvation, we did something to ourselves. You know what we did? We died to ourselves. And it's no longer us who we live for, as the Bible states, it's who? It's Christ that we live for. You are gone out of the picture. Boy, aren't those encouraging words this morning. It's not about you. But that really is good news for the Christian. Because you, compared to Christ, it's so insignificant. You ever focus on the stupid little things in life? I think about this this last week with Christy and I. She was out working in the yard, and she got this itty-bitty, tiny little thorn in her finger. <laughs> you know what ruined her day for almost seven hours? She had the whole day. Now, please forgive me for this. It's a good example, not a bad example. Had this whole day to rejoice in God's goodness and all that he's blessed us with. But where was her focus? This tiny, itty-bitty little thorn. Don't we deal with life like that? Isn't it like that with Christ? There is God and all the blessings he's got. And I'm focused on my little itty bitty personal problem. Hmm. Got to adjust that one, don't we? When you came to salvation, you died to yourself. You gave yourself up and all of your minute, insignificant problems. And what Christ did in that is although you were insignificant, in that exchange, he gave you value and worth beyond all the riches of the world. That's where the blessing is. You gave up insignificance, he gave you worth. Doesn't the Bible say that when one person comes to salvation, all the angels rejoice? And that one soul is worth more than all the treasure in this world? You see, we're like, well, John, that's just a hard message. I mean, <laughs> I'm important too. Nobody cares about me, do they? Well, we gave that insignificance up, and what we exchanged it for was value more than all the gold in Fort Knox, more than all the oil in Dubai. We gave up insignificance and dying to ourselves for true significance in Jesus Christ of real worth and real value. You see where the mindset's different? We get sucked into the world so easy, right? That's because you got to work at living in godliness, to strive, to push, to do it intently. That's the second lesson. Live for God intently. Don't take the wide road that's easy just to go with the crowd. Choose the narrow road on purpose that leads to life. Living for others, 
That's what this life is about. God gave you and I an opportunity this morning to show up and live for the other people in the church that you came to, in the family he gave to you, in the work and the neighborhood he gave you. Your life is to be like Christ's life, to live for others. Now, when I think of this, I think of our extended family here in Utah. Now, we haven't done it for two years for obvious reasons, but we used to get together in big family gatherings, you know, a big barbecue, a big picnic. And I always found it funny because there were two different types of people that showed up. No matter whose house we went to, there were those that brought an abundance of food. And there would be one person that showed up knowing they were going to a crowd of 20 or 30 people and bring a jar of pickles. Who were they living for? Them. Why do I say that? Because they couldn't give. They're like, oh, got to give up this whole freaking jar of pickles. They're going to eat the whole thing. And the other people gave to give. That's what Christ is talking about in the steadfastness, is living to give. Why? Because Christ has given so much to us. Now, our extended family is a bad example because some of them aren't Christians. They don't know any better. But our lives are to be sold out for Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us it is better to what? Give than to receive. Why? Because we have already been given everything. And we've been given so much that when Jesus says, it is finished, it is complete and perfect. That's why coming to church is such an awesome thing because we have givers. Givers that do thing. I mean, Kennel, last week, while we're all in our homes having fun during the rainstorm, Kino's up on the roof fixing our roof, giving of his time. I'm sure he would have preferred to stay inside where it was dry and not so wet and not be looking for tiny little pinholes. But he sacrificed what he wanted to do to do what he knew the ministry God gave him to do to provide for us. Our blessing from what he did was we don't have a leaky roof. Now, unless we think about that, none of us appreciate, appreciates it, do we? But that's a good gift. When Christy makes communion, and Richard does audiovisual, and Ellen is the light technician, and Laura gives me hugs, and I don't know what I do, but when we do all that, we are serving others. We don't do what we want to do, because if we do what we naturally want to do, what do we want? Me, me, me. Give me, give me, give me. When we do the steadfastness of God, it's about sacrificial giving, and we live for the sake of others. Point two, what is the message Luke is trying to get across to us? We need to be steadfast in our faith. We need to change our attitude adjustment to see Christ's picture of today, and not the world's picture of today. To see that we have died to ourselves and lived to Christ, and our insignificance is gone. And now we have infinite value. We have a future and a hope, as the Bible talks about, not a destination of hell like the rest of the world. We have a ministry, a purpose for living, not a life of, what am I worth? What am I here for? That the world asks all the time, right? We've even asked those questions. 
You see, we've been given a chance today to live our lives in such a way to serve others and to show the world what it means to be in Christ. That's what our day is about. And we can rejoice in that because we get to do it. Christ will never make you do it. We get to do it. We actually get to live in the will and do the work of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's put that in perspective. Wouldn't it be great? Well, maybe for some of us this ought to happen. President Biden walked up to you and said, you know what, Richard, you're doing so darn good. I'm going to let you make the decision for the world today. I think I'd vote for you. But, but that's kind of what happens. Because God comes to us and says, I made this day for you. You're doing so great. I want you to go to ministry. Here, here's what I want you to do. This is my work. I'm the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. I'm entrusting you with my ministry because I believe in you that much. Go show the world what it's like to be with God. How good it is. How hopeful it is. How joyful it is. Will it be hard? <laughs> Heck yeah. There's no punches pulled in the Bible. Jesus tells us it'll be hard. But when we look at the big picture, the eternal picture, it's well worth it. The Bible's full of precepts about being steadfast and doing the hard work, about doing that which we need to do for the sake of others versus that which we want to do for ourselves. If a man shall not work, Neither shall he eat. Boy, that flies in the face of our world, doesn't it? You will reap, or you will gather, you will collect, you will harvest what you sow and plant. In other words, if you sow and plant nothing, harvest season comes, you get nothing. If you give much, you will receive much. If you give little, you will receive little. You see, there's a cost for Christ to bring salvation to us. And in the same manner, there's a cost for our lives to serve God. But again, the good news is, it's not about you or me because we died to ourselves and we now live for Christ. We have been changed and have eternal purpose. The other thing that Jesus had to do literally was he had to go this alone. His disciples were with him, but... Well, they tried to convince him to do otherwise. They bailed on him. They denied him. You ever feel like you got to go it alone? Sometimes you do. Sometimes the road is hard and bumpy and rough and rugged, but you got to do it. You know, Christy and Tara and I learned that two weeks ago when we made this crazy, ridiculous decision that people in their 50s should throw on 40, 50, 60 pounds on their back and hike up three and a half miles into the mountains. Well, once you're up there, it's like, wait, then you realize all of a sudden you gotta do something. You gotta come back down. And you know what? There's nobody else to carry your backpack. There's nobody else to do it for you. You have to carry your own weight and you gotta travel because if you sit down and cry in the middle of the trail, well, people pass you, they'll give you a drink of water, but you're staying there, you're not going anywhere. You have to press on to do the journey. How do we do that? Hebrews 13, 2. If you don't have this marked in your Bible, you should. 
says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. When you get down in the dumps, you feel like you're going alone. You may feel that way, but we don't go off of feelings, do we? We go off of fact. And the Bible tells us that you are never alone, that God is always with us, and we have the Holy Spirit to help her. So even though we feel alone, you're never really alone. So the third point is this. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. This life is a journey. It's bumpy. It's curvy. It's uphill both ways. But we are the children of God, and we have the Holy Spirit and God's power within us to do all things. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you all, always. Even Jesus had to go it alone. We read, it says, and as he's talking to the, the apostles, he says, All of you will forsake me, but my Father is with me, and he will not leave me alone. Jesus felt alone too. I mean, can you imagine Peter arguing with Jesus and saying, Dude, I'll, I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, dude, you're going to outright deny me three times before the morning even comes. In fact, you're going to get so upset you're going to swear. Jesus knew what it was born like to go it alone. In fact, Jesus didn't do the easy things. When God brought him to earth, he didn't put him under a king to live in wealth. Where did he put him? with a somewhat temporary homeless couple living in a barn and being put in a stable, a feeding trough as a baby. He was born into a carpenter's home. Carpenters weren't well-renowned for making lots of money. They had to work daily hard to eke out a living. You see, Jesus didn't take shortcuts and detours, and when he went to Jerusalem, it was on purpose. Now, here's what I picture. Four months to live, going to Jerusalem. Well, he just popped on the closest company jet, flew out there, was there in 30 minutes, and just kind of relaxed until that day came. Right? How did Jesus get to Jerusalem? He had to walk. Right? Or ride a donkey. You know, the beautiful thing about those old westerns is it shows the cowboys out there riding their ponies or maybe walking their horses to get somewhere. And it took days. And I don't know if you've ever gone on a long walk like that. When you do that, you have a lot of time to get in your own head, don't you? A lot of time to think. And the mind wanders, doesn't it? Jesus has four months to get to Jerusalem. And as he's going to Jerusalem, do you think the devil is letting up on him with putting thoughts in his head that entire trip? Walking all day long, setting up camp somewhere, picking up, doing it again, all day to think. You been there? You got idle time on your hands and your mind goes where? South, right? That's where we purposely have to put it back on Jesus. The challenge for us is this, in being steadfast. We got to quit wearing the cross on a lapel pin or on a chain on our necklace and we got to start wearing it on our back. Jesus tells us we have to bear the cross, don't we? And how often do we have to do it? Daily. You need to bury your cross, carry your cross daily. And to the world, that has to sound so negative, doesn't it? Whoa, you serve a mean God. He wants you to carry this heavy cross, this, you know, splintery old wooden cross, and it leads to death. 
But what they don't realize is that leading to death, just like Christ did, leads to life. And the exchange in that death to myself and life to Christ is incomparable. I'll use a different word just because Christy and I watched that good old movie, Princess Bride, the other night. It's inconceivable if you've ever seen the movie. You see, to give up my insignificance for eternal worth and value, to give up my loneliness for constant, always, companionship in Christ, to give up my life of wandering through meaningless, hopeless, to a life of purpose, that exchange is inconceivable. 